Well, good morning, Christ Chapel, and hello to all of you joining us at Converge West Campus, South Campus uh, Hive. Happy spring forward and happy spring break. Our boys are on spring break this week. They asked me if I get spring break. Uh, I said, no. Uh, they asked me, when is my spring break? And I said, in the words of Edgar Allan Poe, nevermore, nevermore. Don't, don't get old, boys. So, but I uh, hope you're having a good uh, spring forward and uh, spring break. I told you that I would update you on what we're doing uh, with Ukraine. And I wanted to let you know you've already done something. And then I want to give you two ways that you can participate. Uh, first, on your behalf, this past week, our elders sent $200,000 to Samaritan's Purse uh, to help out with uh, the relief efforts going on, specifically in the surrounding countries. As you can imagine, so many people are evacuating Ukraine right now. And Samaritan's Purse is a great organization that we've partnered with for so many years who are uniquely equipped to deal with those efforts. So they've set up mobile hospitals and all sorts of different things. And so they're in surrounding countries like Romania and Poland, etc. And so we got that relief aid out immediately. But what we want to give you an opportunity to do today is to give a, a special offering if you'd like to give to Ukraine efforts right now. Your gifts will go to specifically relief efforts immediately, but long-term rebuilding efforts. So a portion of your gift will go to Samaritan's Purse. We will send another installment of a gift to them so that they can continue to meet those needs. But we wanna be well-equipped and ready to go to meet the needs as the rebuilding efforts begin because uh, we pray that that conflict ceases immediately. That's what we're praying for. It's tragic what is going on there, uh, but we wanna be ready to step back in specifically to help local churches and other ministries that will be rebuilding. The relationships that we already have uh, there in Ukraine, uh, many of those folks have fled and that completely makes sense. And so when they go back in, we wanna be ready to help support pastors, to help support ministries like orphanages, uh, seminaries, et cetera, to help with those rebuilding efforts. So part of your giving will go to those long-term rebuilding efforts also. So that's one way I'd love for you to participate if you would give to those uh, uh, short-term and long-term relief and rebuilding efforts. The second way is we are gonna have a special time of prayer tomorrow. Tomorrow at 12.30, from 12.30 to 1.30 at the Fort Worth campus in the Oak Room, we are going to meet for a time of prayer specifically for Ukraine. And so I'd love for you to join us. Uh, Dr. Ben McWilliams, our Life Stage 6 pastor, is going to lead that time. I'll be there for the beginning of that time, but would love for you to join us. So we're going to pray uh, for all that is going on there in that conflict. So I love that you want to help. Uh, you warm my heart that you do. We want to step in. We just want to be, we want to be wise. We want to be discerning. And we want to continue to look for those spirit-led ways to engage in this conflict to help those uh, folks as best as we can. Uh, so uh, another thing that I love about you guys, uh, I'm transitioning now, another thing that I love about you guys, and I tell this to, to folks, I don't know if I've ever said it uh, from the pulpit, but I love that our church is multi-generational. I, I, I love that. I love that we have toddlers to sages, and I love that we have places for all those generations uh, to interact. In fact, it's one of the things that I want to continue to focus on as we talk about making disciples because anyone who is a follower of Jesus should be helping someone else follow Jesus. 
That, that, that is the model that we have in scripture. And so all you have to do is be one step ahead, one step ahead of somebody else to help them follow Jesus with you, to follow the same Lord and Savior that you're following. So we're gonna pour into that. But one of the things that I've noticed as the generations get, uh, get together is there are generational uh, differences, different mindsets, different philosophies that come out. And one of those is just because we were raised at different times. See, if you are a millennial or you're part of Generation Y, you grew up in a generation that has been phrased, everyone gets a trophy. You, you've heard of that before. And because you grew up in that generation, other generations see you maybe as soft or lazy or, or needing constant in, encouragement, et cetera. Which, by the way, I want to stick up for millennials and Generation Y just a second because it's really their parents' fault. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, they didn't know what trophies were until they got one, until they got one for just participating. And so they, which, by the way, whoever started to bring snacks after every single game, okay? We had to take snacks to soccer yesterday. But it's not their fault, but it's the expectation. It's kind of the stereotype that they've been given. And when we mix those generations, the, the, the generation, maybe the, the boomers go, hey, I didn't get rewarded for participating. Like I had to perform and, and only the top three got any kind of recognition. You didn't just get recognition for, for showing up, for putting the jersey on, for just being a part of the team. And those can cause some longer conversations as you talk about different things of life. And that's okay. We need to continue to work through those. But just as there's confusion when those two generations collide as to what's rewarded, there's a collision that happens in Scripture when we see two different kingdoms colliding, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Christ. Because when they collide, there can be some confusion as to what is rewarded. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Just the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue our series upside down. And as we study the Sermon on the Mount, remember we're taking an in-depth look at Jesus so that we can embody his heart, so that we can not only be his disciples, but make disciples and reach the 800,000 in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus. That's why we are doing this. This isn't just for your own spiritual enrichment or education. This should be put into practice. That's why we're doing it. So as we studied the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus really focused on how we rightly relate to one another. And you can remember some of those subjects that we've, we've talked about in the past. We've talked about anger. We've talked about uh, lust. We've talked about how to relate to enemies. It's these interpersonal relationships, how to rightly relate to each other in chapter 5. Well, in chapter 6, he's going to make a turn. And now it's how do we rightly relate to God? Because he has different ideas, different ways than the world did of rightly relating to a holy God. It doesn't look like the way that the world wants it to look. And so what he's going to tell them is it's not just what you do. It's not just that you participate, that you get a trophy. It's why you do what you do. 
So that's what we're gonna look at in Matthew chapter six, verses one to four. I wanna read it just as a whole and certainly we'll go back and dissect it and break it down. Beginning in verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have already received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And may God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. And so Jesus is talking about this uh, idea of the motivation behind doing what we do. The the motives that underlie all the things that dictate why you do what you do. And he's going to address this first because he wants our motives to be pure before him. We all want people to have pure motives when they relate to us and God is no different. He's a relational God. He wants our motives to be pure, but he also is bringing this up because our rewards depend upon it. Now, I know when I bring up the, the, the subject of Christian rewards, sometimes it can be a tad bit controversial. Uh, sometimes it's very easily misunderstood what we mean by that. And part of the reason is because we do not uh, live and we, we don't necessarily, we do not relate to God based on a merit system or a reward system. But Christian rewards are real. They are very real. And they're highlighted here in this passage. In fact, out of the four verses that we're studying today, he talks about rewards in three of the verses. It's a subject of what he's talking about because we will be rewarded by Jesus, based on our motives, why we do what we do. So let me give you a very quick, if you look at your sermon notes, I just want to give you a very quick 101 on Christian rewards, because it is prominent in this passage. First, salvation, salvation is a gift by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is nothing that you can do to merit a right relationship with God. Nothing. We are saved. We have a right relationship with God by grace alone, his grace, his mercy, by faith alone, only by your faith, no works, because of Christ alone, because he died on the cross to pay for your sin, rose from the dead to prove that his righteous life was a sufficient payment to a holy God for your sin and my sin. Salvation is by grace alone. You cannot merit it, okay? So we've gotta have that foundation, which is why this causes some confusion. But look at what the second point is. Your life after salvation will be evaluated and potentially rewarded. This is what we call the Bema seat. And I don't have time to go into it. I've preached on a couple times here uh, from this pulpit. But the Bema seat in 1 Corinthians chapter three, what he's talking about is all that we have done will be evaluated. Some of it will burn like wood, hay, and stubble, and some of it will last through the flames. And that will be our reward. What will be rewarded there are those things that are pure, 
the pure motives that we're talking about uh, today. So you have a potential of being rewarded for eternity. And so what Paul admonishes the church to do and us to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is this. Christians devote their lives to Christ to gain imperishable rewards. He wants you to live your Christian life for eternal rewards. He uses an analogy of running a race. And he says, who runs a race and doesn't try to win the crown? Who doesn't try to win the race? Run in such a way to win that prize. Run in such a way that you're trying to to seek those eternal rewards. And a big difference though, not worldly rewards. And that's what he's gonna highlight today is the difference between those two. And so what I want us to do as a church, what I want you to do is to run in such a way to win that imperishable crown, those eternal rewards. And so what we're gonna, I'm gonna show you as we dissect this passage is, I wanna show you first what God rewards. And, and I wanna show you that in each of the main points, but then because we're talking about motives, I wanna give you a, kind of an introspective question that you need to ask yourself, and then I'll give you an application that Lord willing will keep us all on track to pursuing him. So let's start uh, with verse one where you see that God rewards righteous actions that aren't performed to be seen by others. God rewards righteous actions that aren't performed to be seen by others. We don't live in a performance relationship of faith with Jesus. Look at what he says in verse one. He says, beware. You don't see that that word many times throughout scripture but this is a warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Stop right there. Now, why is Jesus addressing this? Remember, we're at the Sermon on the Mount, which was basically a hill, a lot of people that, that are around. Now, why is he saying that this, this warning, this beware? It's because of this. Many people during that day who were listening to Jesus would have thought that, okay, if you want me to live for you, Jesus, and and live for God, then my life needs to look like the Pharisees. And what the Pharisees were doing was it was all about showmanship. It was all about living the, the, the big life for God letting everything that they do, all their righteous acts, be seen, be heard, be known. Loud and proud, we want everybody to know that we are the most religious, we are the most righteous people, follow us, admire us. That was the attitude of the Pharisees. And that's why Jesus is addressing this, is to get people's minds off of, it doesn't look like them. I know you think that if, if you're living for God, this is the model that has been set for you, but beware, because if you live like the Pharisees, your Father in heaven will not reward you. There's no reward for living those good deeds, those righteous deeds for everyone to see. That's what he talks about. And and I, I think this is a great thing that we all have to be aware of. So beware, I've preached this to myself all week. Beware, because we all love to be admired. We We all do. 
We all want to, to be praised. We, we all want to be respected. We all want to be uh, looked at as admirable, as, as noble, as doing the right thing. We want people to think well of us. Uh, I read a quote from uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think this is so uh, dead on. He says, The desire to feel important is the strongest urge in the world. Indeed, like a volcano waiting to erupt, there it is, that in us, which starves for earthly approval and recognition. We, we long for it. We desire it. And that's why he says, beware. Beware, because the Father in heaven does not reward that kind of attitude, that kind of motive, where righteous acts are only performed for those to see. Now, if you've been following along with us through this series, some of you are thinking about the contradiction that appears to be here with chapter 5, verse 16. If you remember what Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And you go, hold on. Cody, you just preached a couple weeks ago. Let everybody see your good works. Now you're telling me, don't let anybody see it. Well, hold on. The, the, the point of both of these passages is who gets the glory. That's the whole point. So when do I let those good deeds show? When the Father gets the glory. When do I not let those good deeds show? When I want the glory. I read a great quote from a, a Scottish theologian. He was back in the 19th century, uh, A.B. Bruce. He said, when you're tempted to show it, hide it. When you're tempted to hide, show it. And I think that's a great introspective question for us to, to ask. Put some guardrails on there depending on what we are tempted to do. Whose glory are we pursuing? You see, the question that we have to ask ourselves is whom we'd rather be rewarded by. Would you rather be rewarded by others or would you rather be rewarded by God? And the reason why I ask this question is because, as I said, we all want to be admired. It's, it, it's wired into us. It's built into our sinful uh, uh, brains, our hearts. And we love that instant feedback. We, we want approval. But here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, if I am living for the approval of people, I cannot be a servant of God. It sounds pretty binary there to me. It's either one or the other. I'm living for the approval of people or I'm living to, to find approval from God. And that's a really, oh man, that's a hard one because I, I don't want to live for the approval of men, but so often I find myself trying that because I like it. It feels good. I get instant feedback, instant gratification. But what he says is if you're seeking that instant gratification from others, God does not re reward that. And so how do you stay away from living for the approval of people? I think we've got to talk to God constantly so that you can focus on his glory rather than being seen for your own. Talk to him constantly. And here's why I say talk to him constantly, for a few reasons. First, 
you've got to talk to him because we love talking to others about our good things. And we are so clever, myself included, about slipping that in. You know, oh, can you pray for me? I was witnessing to this homeless person and, you know, I gave him all the money in my wallet and I didn't have enough money for gas and, you know, just pray for me, please. It's like, okay, come on. We know what you're doing, all right? So we're really clever at talking to others and that's why we've got to go and talk to God about these things so that he remains the focus. And I also mean it not just in a positive way of what we want to do for God and how we want those things to really be as unto him, but also in a negative way. Because folks, altruism does not exist in this world, not in this sinful world. There there is no altruistic thing that you or I can do because we're sinful, broken people. And so we've got to constantly go to God and talk to him about those negative things where we go, God, forgive me. Forgive me that I shared that as a prayer request just to get praise and approval from others. Forgive me for that. Please help refine my, my heart. Give me pure motives because we've got to confess that as sin. I'll give, you, I'll give you a great example of a conversation I had with the Lord last week. Last Sunday, I was serving at the West Campus. Hey, West Campus, was fun being with all of you. I was serving there as the venue pastor, and my family came to the first service, and then they came in just for the, the music of the, the second service, and then they took off. Well, uh, while the boys were there and, and Jen was there in the second service, just, just for the music, uh, our younger son, Hayes, uh, kind of tapped me on the leg and, and he wanted me to hold him. And so, okay, so I pick him up and I hold him as, as I'm looking up at the words and we're singing a song. And then this thought flashes across my mind and I think, I hope people see me holding my son and think I'm a good dad. Like, I, 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 I didn't ask for that thought to come. <laughs> that thought was just what came up in my heart and my mind. And then I started thinking, God, who back there is looking at me? Who, I, I hope they see Hayes, our, our younger one, hope they see him trying to sing along with me. Because, that, man, they're gonna think I'm super dad or, or something, you know? That is sinful. Think about who the, what, what were we doing? We were worshiping God. And what was I craving? Worship from others. Sinful. I had to confess my sin. And right then and there, I'm like, God, forgive me. This is not about me. I'm trying to sing and worship you. By the way, totally ignoring that moment that I was going to have or I was getting to have with my son who just wanted me, wanted me to hold him. And you go, that's great. Yeah, I messed it up because of my dark, sinful heart. This is why we've got to talk to God constantly about these things because there really isn't any altruism. And we confess that sin and we say, God, forgive me. And let me focus on you. And so for the rest of that time that I got to hold him and worship, I did the best I could to just sing as unto him. Let everything else just be what it is. You've got to talk to God constantly so that his glory remains the focus and not getting your own. Okay, second. Second way that God rewards is God rewards righteous actions motivated by right reasons. 
God rewards righteous actions motivated by right reasons. Look at verse two. After he gives us this principle of not performing simply to be seen by others, he gives us a very very practical thing that happened back in those days. He said in verse two, thus, when you give to the needy, this is an assumption, by the way, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have already, they have received their reward. So Jesus starts off with this assumption. Thus, when you give, that, that is an assumption. Why? Because giving is a part of our worship. And I'm not gonna talk too much about that today. I'm gonna talk more about that in two weeks. But that, that is a part of our worship as unto him. Also, not only because it's our worship to him, it's the way that he helps those who are in need. He uses the body. He uses the church to help the, those that are, are, are down and out, those who are in unfortunate circumstances. And so he says, thus when you give, don't do it like the Pharisees. The way that the Pharisees do it is they do it with trumpets. And you say, that is really weird. What does that mean? So there are a couple of things that this could potentially mean. Some scholars go back to and think that it has to do the way, with the way that offering boxes were set up back in those times. You see, the offering boxes kind of had this little horn or this little funnel on it. And the reason why it had this horn on there was because these boxes were in public places. And that would keep people from pilfering through the offering and going and taking some. And so some people think that it had to do with, you know, they would throw their change in there, you know, and the shekels, and they would kind of drip them in there one at a time to go, hey, does everybody see me? You know, do you hear that? Clang, clang, clang. You know, throwing their offering down there, sounding the trumpet. Uh, but another way, and I think Jesus probably means both, is uh, they were tooting their own horn. You know, you know guys, I- I'm going to go give right now. You know, does everybody, you know, everybody see? Hey, quiet down. You know, I, w- I want to pray while I give here. You know, just calling attention to themselves, tooting their own horns. And he says, don't do it that way. Don't do it in a way that draws attention to yourself the way that the Pharisees were doing in the synagogues and in the streets. You see, he calls those folks that do it that way hypocrites. Now, you remember what the word hypocrite means. This this word is taken from Greek plays where those actors or actresses would put on masks. Now, there's a a few ways, there's a few levels of, of hypocrisy that, that he's talking about here. The first level is a, a hypocrite is obviously one that puts on a mask that deceives others. That, that's, what they're, that's what they're doing. They're trying to deceive others. That's what an actor, an actress would do in a play. They want you to believe that they really are this person with the mask on. Another level though is that they're trying to deceive you, but they're not deceiving you. They're deceiving themselves and themselves alone. They've put on this mask for so long that they think this is who they are. And I think that's part of what's going on here with the Pharisees, which leads to kind of the third level is this mask is deceiving others and it's deceiving themselves. 
that the, hip, that the hypocrites, the Pharisees, they think what they're doing is great. They think, I'm giving to you, God. Isn't this wonderful? And they're deceiving other people, which is why Jesus has this beware in there from the Sermon on the Mount of thinking, well, I guess they're great. I guess that's the way I'm supposed to give. They've deceived themselves and they've deceived others. And he says, no, 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 no. Those folks are hypocrites. And Jesus peels away this mask and says, you think they're gonna be rewarded by God? No, 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 they're not gonna be rewarded by God. In fact, they've already received their reward in full. It's kind of this commercial transaction word that's used here. They've gotten everything that they wanted right there. Why? Because everything they wanted was the approval of people. They wanted the applause of everyone around. Oh yeah, you did great. That's why they were doing it. You see, what's ironic about this whole thing is the act, the, the, the look was that they're giving to help others. But who were they really trying to help? Themselves. That's it. They were turning this act of mercy into an act of, of vanity. Look at me. This is what I want. See, we've got to ask ourselves the question when we perform those righteous acts, and I use perform loosely, you know what I mean, is who do I want my actions to benefit, me or others? Who am I doing this for? See, I, I wonder, as, I, as I've looked at this passage, I wonder if there was no audience around, would the Pharisees have given? If there's nobody there, would they have still done that? I, I don't know. Because it sounds like they're seeking the approval of people. And as one commentator said, I love, love what he said. He said, aim for the approval of people and you'll hit a bullseye every time. Because that, that's what you want. And so you're gonna orchestrate it in that way. So if nobody's there, you probably won't perform because you want their applause and approval. You see, if our actions are dictated by an audience around us, our motives probably aren't right. Motives probably aren't pure. And so here's, to, to keep us all on the rails, here's what I recommend. Serve anonymously when you can to avoid getting the credit that God deserves. Serve anonymously when you can it's not always possible to avoid getting the credit that God deserves. See, this is where we go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, when he says, uh, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And sometimes you can let your light shine behind the curtain, anonymously, where no one sees you. And here's why that's important to do and important to practice as much as you can. It's because egos die hard. Our egos die real hard. And so we have to constantly make an effort to push ourselves behind the curtain and to push the Lord in front and to say, this is about you, this is about your glory. It's not about me. Because the more we put that ego in the dark, the less we feed it. The less, I mean, it's like a plant. The less light you give it, the more it dies. So keep going behind the curtain. 
love uh, what R.T. Kendall said. He said, the thought of being utterly anonymous is easy to admire, but extremely difficult to apply and consistently carry out. For some of us, being utterly anonymous is a great fear. Scares us to death. But here's the thing. Although you may be anonymous to others here, you're never anonymous to God. You see, what he says here in verses three and four is that God rewards righteous actions that go unacknowledged by others. God rewards righteous actions that go unacknowledged by others. Look at verses three and four. He told us what not to do when giving to the needy, and now he tells us how to do it with the right motives. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So it's a weird way of what he's saying here is he wants us, in a sense, to almost forget the good things that we've done. That's essentially what he's saying with the, the right hand and the left hand. And here's why he almost wants us to be uh, forgetful of those good things that we've done. Because self-conscious, if we're self-conscious about this and continue to dwell on it, self-consciousness oftentimes turns into self-righteousness. And we start thinking we're doing really good you see, the, the idea that he's got here is when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The right hand was usually the hand of activity. That's what it was uh, epitomized as. Sorry for those of you who are left-handed. But the right hand was seen as the one that does all the action. What he's talking about here is, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Because if the left hand knows what the right hand's doing, do you know what the left hand oftentimes does if it's doing good things for God? Left hand starts patting yourself on the back. And what he's saying here is, don't, don't, don't let the left hand know so that you begin to pat yourself on the back saying, man, you're great. What you did there, whew, knocked it out of the park. Did you hear those people, man? They loved it. Man, so, so many people think you're awesome. They're great. He's saying, get your hand off your own back. You see, what connects these two hands is the heart. And that's why he's saying, go back here. Let's get the right heart. You see, you've got to ask yourself the question, who do I want to pat me on the back? Me or God? Who's well done is more important to you? Because you can get a pat on the back here. You can pat yourself on the back. You can get a pat on the back from, from others. But how long is that going to last? not going to last very long. But the rewards that he gives you, the imperishable, last forever to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. So here's what I encourage you to do. Bet on God who always delivers on his promises and never overlooks anything. Anything. Bet on him. I know that, that in order to to live for Christ in this way, flirting with anonymity 
is a faith decision. And that's why I say you've got to bet on him because he will deliver. In fact, that word that he uses about, about the reward, your father who sees in secret will reward you. We've seen this word one other time. And it's in an interesting place in, in our study because what it means is it, he, will, he will pay up to the last penny. He will give you everything you deserve for every good deed done in his name with the right motives. You see, the other place we saw this was in Matthew chapter 5, verse 26, when we were talking about anger. And it says, if your brother has anything against you and they're going to drag you a court, to court, he said, go and reconcile with them. Because if they take you to court and you get thrown in a debtor's prison, guess what? They are going to get from you down to the very last penny. What he says there is, you're going to have to deliver to the very last penny. Same word. Same word that he uses here, except he uses it in a positive. That the, the Lord is going to reward you to the very last penny of what you have done for him on this earth. And don't forget, one of the names of God that we get from Genesis chapter 16 is, he is Elroy, uh, El the God who sees. The God who sees everything. And I hope that encourages us because what Jesus is encouraging us to do is don't live for the audience around. Don't only perform when you have an audience. What he encourages us to do is to live for the audience of one. It's him. It's the one who sees. It's the one who can reward you throughout eternity. That's the one we live for. That's the one we serve. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that this life is not about show. It's not about all the people that can see. Lord, we don't want a participation trophy that just lasts throughout this life. That's as short-lived and as meaningless as a pat on the back. Lord, we want to be patted on the back by you. And here, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done this in my name. You've done it to the least of these, and so therefore you've done it to me. Lord, I pray that as we push ourselves back behind the curtain, Lord, that you would push your glory forth, that others may see good deeds, not so that we could get the glory, but so that they may praise you in heaven. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.